I've had a much slower year and I've prioritised my mental health and having a life outside of work and trying to have a more sustainable business that's more balanced and makes me happier and healthier. But that has come at a financial loss and that means that not as many big, exciting goals are being ticked off, you know, because the goal has shifted. And even just looking at a previous year's revenue, there's a big difference. And it almost pushed me back to kind of old habits that I don't want to do. I don't want to work 24-7. And I have to come back around and remind myself I'm going slowly for a reason. Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespot.com and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. I launched Vespot five years ago to empower women financially with tens of thousands of followers. We organize workshops, classes, and have a brilliant community to support you. Also last week, I learned Vespot and I are nominated in the Holly & Co. by the one and only Holly Tucker for their Female Founder Award. They are two lucky winners for this award. The first will receive £10,000 and the second will receive £5,000. So I need your vote. Please find the link in the podcast notes. And today I speak to the brilliant and inspiring Sapphire Bates. She's the founder of The Coven, an online platform and community providing a support network for female founders and business owners. The Coven provides founders with the tools to start and grow their business, as well as a place to connect with others who get it. Sapphire and I have worked together on events and workshops, and I've personally been a member of our community. Having experienced rapid growth in her business, Sapphire is now focused on adapting how she works to ensure her business is sustainable and supports both her career goals and her mental health. So today, we talk about three things on the wallet. One, Sapphire tells me the role, money, and the desire for financial independence has played in building the coven, and how her attitude towards money has evolved since starting the business. Two, we discuss what it looks like to build and grow a business sustainably while caring for yourself and your team in the process, and how implementing a four-day work week is working for our team. And finally, As business owners, it's hard not to compare ourselves to others. So Sapphire tells me how she manages those feelings, her approach to taking risks, and her advice to anyone wanting to start a business. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'd also just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pensionbee. Pensionbee has helped over 500,000 customers be pension confident. It enables savers to take control of their finances by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. With Pension B, you can manage your pension like you manage your bank account, you can check your real-time balance, see your projected retirement income, and set up contributions and withdrawals all from the palm of your hand. Plus, you'll get human support from your very own UK-based account manager, or as Pension B calls them, Beekeeper. You can sign up to Pension B today with the names of your old pension providers in just five minutes, and if you're self-employed, you can start a new pension from scratch. As always with investments, your capital is at risk. Hi, Sapphire. Hello. So nice to see you on a Monday morning. <laughs> I know, I'm so excited to be here. How are you today? Yeah, really good. I mean, I've got like the Mondays, like I can't fully be bothered with everything on my to-do list, but I'm so here for this recording, like this I'm excited about. So <laughs> it's all good. I'm happy to be on your Monday morning to-do list though. It's uh, <laughs> it's quite cool and it's really nice to see you and, and we're going to talk about one of our favorite subjects and it's, you know, helping women to build businesses, 
build sustainable businesses, talk about how you feel about it, build your confidence and talk also about mental health. So I think it's in, you know, an important uh, conversation. And obviously we'll talk about money because money is going to be a central part in, in all this. <laughs> so how do you actually make money from your business, how you live from your business and, and sort of reinvest in yourself and, and all these things. But you, so you're, you know, the founder of The Coven. It's not your, your first business. You've been selling amazing flowers before, do a lot of these things. You have your, your podcast, your publishing magazines. So for those of you who don't know you, can you, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yes. I mean, you've just summed it up pretty well, to be fair. So yeah, I'm Sapphire. I'm 27. I run a business called The Coven, which, yeah, does a whole lot of different things, really. We started with just a membership, but that slowly expanded into a few different areas. Um, before that, I ran my own flower studio, which I didn't love. I don't actually like making flowers. That's always a funny thing to throw out there. Um, but it was the only thing I knew how to run a business in. So I was like, I'm just going to have to do this for now. <laughs> what else can you do? And that's basically what I did until I was like, oh, yeah, this not liking flowers is kind of getting in the way. Yeah. And I, I do a few different things. I do some writing. Um, I do the podcast. But the coven is my baby. Yeah. So what's what's your mission with the coven? <sighs> well, what a question. Uh, hit me with the hard questions. First. Where do we start? <laughs> I don't, the, the central aim of the business, and, and it's always been the same, is to provide a support network for as many founders as possible to help people who work mainly by themselves. But we also have a lot of women who do have teams, but still feel quite isolated being the person in charge. I just want those people to feel that they've got a network. I want them to meet people who can not only a network as in a professional network to help them grow, scale, solve problems, but also just a support network in the sense that they've got a place to go and people to talk to, because that's something that in my first business, I just struggled with so much. I had nobody to really talk to. And that was so isolating. So many things go wrong in a business and it's stressful. You need somewhere to vent and somewhere to, to feel like there's people who get it. Yeah. And, and I'm part of your community. And just to give some example is like, you know, yeah, like a basic stuff, like, you know, I need an accountant or I, you know, what sort of business should I set up? But it's also like, you know, I need to talk, <laughs> you know, can we, can we catch up and talk about, yeah, maybe money or maybe how do you feel today or, you know, what type of action can I take? So I think it's amazing to have these communities, but you don't feel you need them. At, you know, you're like, yeah, I don't need them, but actually... Yeah, <laughs> you need you need to catch up. I know. Tell me about it. That's the hardest thing to market. It's like you do you'll like it. <laughs> go go <laughs> find find your membership. But how do you how do you make sure? And, and the coven, I think that's one thing you you do really well is you make sure it's not too noisy, it's not overwhelming. But you know you you just find the information, the motivation, you know the the group that supports you. So. How do you find the balance, like running the, this community to make sure it doesn't end up being this huge thing where in the end you're like, you know, I'm completely lost and it's being like being on a Slack where, I mean, you're, you're not on the on Slack, but like Slack where there's like 20,000 people and you're like, can, do, you have a, do you have an idea for me? Can you help me? <laughs> yeah, I think, look, initially 100% would have gone in that direction. I think when I started, I, I had no idea that it would really grow. But once I started to see the growth from the business and it started to turn over more money than my previous business had, and I could see, I could just see the real scalability of it. And I was like, oh my God, this is happening really quickly. I was kind of like, go, go, go. I was like, yes, I want thousands and thousands of members. I want 
investment. I want everything. Like I'm, I'm going to make this huge, but you kind of notice as you do that, that it does impact the community and it's hard. I, I think you have to be very careful with a, with a community um, that you don't lose the sense of community, which sounds silly when it's a community, but if you suddenly welcome an extra 5,000 people, that's going to change the dynamics of the group. So I did learn pretty quickly that despite the, the potential being there and the fact that you could do that, if I wanted this to be sustainable and I wanted my members to get out what I was actually telling them I wanted them to get out, then I needed to do things a little bit differently and perhaps more slowly. Yeah, and fo focus on quality, I guess, your, your values rather than, yeah, bigger, bigger, bigger. But that's tricky because... When you work in this, you know, startup and entrepreneurship world, it's all about growth and more and more and, and, and the hustle. So we, we'll talk about that today. But maybe if we, you know, you talked about, you know, yeah, launching the Coven and yeah, members are joining, you're, you're making money, uh, which, which is great. Uh, so maybe, you know, what is, what is money for you and, and what are the, um, you know, your, your money goals versus like the, the Coven's goals? Because I'm sure that's maybe driving a lot of the maybe business decisions or, you know, strategy for you. Okay. I love money. I am totally happy to say that. And I'm very driven by money. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm self-aware enough to know that that's a big driver for me. I think for a little while I tried to like pretend that it wasn't because it felt a bit kind of like uncouth um, to be chasing money. But actually, you know, screw it. That that does do it for me. I want I've always wanted to be financially independent. I mean, when I was younger, I was dreaming of like big wealth. Like I wanted yachts. I wanted to be like I was dreaming of being a business owner that, you know, was on planes, like private jets, flying everywhere, going to different meetings, doing all this crazy stuff and just having all of this money. I think the older I get, the more that that changes and the more maybe I realize that that A, probably wouldn't be what I thought it would be and B, that actually that's probably not the kind of money that I need. If it turns up, fine, I'll take it. But for me now, I'm still very much driven by money, but it's more about just that financial independence. I want to be able to go shopping when I want to go shopping. I want to be able to, you know, I've bought a house at some point, I'd like to be able to buy a bigger house, or I'd really like to be able to buy a house and then rent it out. You know, there's a few different things. I'd just like some more to be, you know, I want a, a really good pension. I would just like more money, basically, but I'm not striving for the same amounts that I used to. And that definitely impacts the business goals, you know, as the person in charge who's setting the kind of goals of the business and driving the direction of the business, of course, that massively impacts what we're doing. But I think for me, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later, I very much have to balance my feelings around money and my kind of wants and then my mental health and the realities and sustainability, basically. Yeah. What's been your, your money journey? Do you think it's, you know, education? Do you think it's, you know, at home when you were young, like you, you know, having money conversations or just one day you woke up and you were like, yeah, actually, you know, money is good because... You know, we, we may all have misconceptions around money and think, you know, money is bad or think money is not abundant or, you know, um, some scarcity mindset. So um, did you do some work to, to understand these, these things? It definitely wasn't education because we all know we don't really learn the important stuff. I wish I'd been taught about mortgages and tax and everything just like a, the fact you don't get taught about a pension in school you know like the thing that yeah. you've got to survive on for actually nowadays quite a proportion of your life there's just none of that 
that education. So definitely, definitely not at school. My parents are very much, despite the fact my parents are quite young, but they're still both quite old school in their views of money, like that you don't really talk about it. You don't really talk about how much you have um, and that it's a bit taboo or like it's a bit... It's a bit rude to talk about yeah. it, um, especially if you have it, to be like, oh, I have money. So I kind of grew up with that. But I have always been a spender. I am <laughs> contradictory because I'm very good in my business finances. You know, I'm that I'm, I'm very well behaved with. You know, I always know what's in there, what's going out, what's coming in. I've always got business savings always very sensible with it. But ever since I first got a job, which was as as soon as I was legally allowed to go and get a job, I was getting a job. I wanted to earn money, but I would spend, like I would spend every month. I would never spend beyond my means. So I was never getting into like debt, but I would get paid. And before the end of the month, all of that money is gone. Yeah. And usually not on sensible stuff. So I, I think I've always just had, and I don't really know where it comes from, but I've always just had a belief that I could make more. I don't, I, yeah, I've always been quite good with money. I think partly like my parents very much taught me to be independent. You know, I paid them rent as soon as I got a job. I had to pay a proportion of rent and I had to pay for my own stuff and kind of learn how to manage my own money. So I've always been able to do that, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely a spender. I still am. <laughs> no, thanks for that, Steph. And, and also, I think when, when you run a business and, you know, we see the cover from the outside and we're like, wow, amazing. You know, Steph, she went from, you know, having a flower studio, then she set up the cover and, you know, super successful, you know, she makes money and stuff. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, the behind the scenes of, you know, being an um, early stage founder? And I think for me, Vespot was the same, you know, it's, you know, bootstrapping the business so putting a little bit of your own money. It doesn't need to be a lot of money for me. It was just designing a logo and building a, a website but it's then it's afterwards what's happened like you're not necessarily able to pay yourself a salary at first so where can you find the money um do you need to run like you know maybe side projects can you do a few things on the side to support you because yeah be, you know being a startup founder is, is beautiful and it's very trendy and stuff but actually you know where can the money cr come from in these like early days maybe Yes. Or still today, I don't know, you know, it's I think it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing like how do you how do you, you generate money through like multiple income streams to make sure that will support you and, and you won't have to close your business and find a job tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. So, I have had loads of things on the side, especially with my florist. So, um it's a little different with the coven, but if we start where I started in the beginning with my flower business, That made money. I mean, it didn't really make money for the first maybe year. Basically, I could cover my costs. So I worked loads of different jobs on the side. Uh, you know, I did cleaning. I worked in a pub. I worked in a restaurant. I do like shop work, anything that I could basically. As the business grew, I was working in a juice bar um, and I worked 12 hours on a Monday and 12 hours on a Tuesday because they were the quietest days for flowers and then I do Friday and Saturday nights at a kind of like silver service restaurant where I do running um, which I hated because I'm so clumsy and then Sundays I'd collect like set down any flower things if we'd done a wedding or anything like that um, and then I'd go and do the afternoon shift through to the evening at that restaurant again and I did that for a really long time and then I dropped the pub first And then I stopped doing like a Friday and a Saturday night and just did the Sunday. And then I dropped the Sunday and then I just 
ended up with the 24 hours Monday, Tuesday at the juice bar. And then eventually I could drop those. But with floristry, and I think this is probably the norm for lots of businesses, the money was very hit and miss. Um, So even when I I left those, I could have one week where we made like £6,000 and another week where we made £60. Um, So it was always, it fluctuated so much. It was always terrifying, even when it was making money and you had to learn to manage the money because especially floristry, you have, you have like wedding season, which runs from say like February, maybe if you're lucky through to like October, November, but like December, January is like dead. And usually November is really quiet as well. So you have to be ready for that financially by saving a load of money that you've made in the summer. I initially for my flower business, I got a loan when I started that just to buy as small as I possibly could, um, just to buy the essentials. Like that was to help pay for like the deposit on a studio because I had no, no. So, I mean, when I started that business, I was in Thailand. I had, I'd spent all my savings backpacking, had nothing, (laughs) like absolutely nothing to my name. So yeah, got a, got a small loan, which just paid for like some of the equipment I'd need, like scissors and wrapping paper and all the different bits and bobs that I'd need first load of flowers and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, I worked other jobs to pay my bills. Wow. And then you moved on to, to create the, the coven and in your business model. So I guess you're making money from the, your membership and then maybe, you know, some, some partnerships. Do you have also additional streams of income? So have you, I mean, I think you've worked also maybe on your personal brand or maybe you've done that in the past, you know, getting paid for speaking and stuff. Was it important for you to um, to have this like different income or it just came and you thought, OK, yeah, why not? I'm, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where I ever heard this from, but it's really stuck with me. I heard or read or watched that billionaires have on average seven to nine different income streams. Wow. And I learned that years ago. I have no idea if it's even true now, to be honest, because I have no idea where I referenced that from. But it really stuck with me. And so multiple income streams was always in my head because remember back, as I said, I was chasing like big wealth initially or aspiring to it anyway. So I was like, yep, I need all of these different income streams. So for me, like multiple income streams was really important, but also just, I mean, we know it now, obviously hindsight, but we can see from the past year that actually having money coming from multiple places could be really important in case something happens that throws one of those streams completely off. And like for us, membership numbers definitely dropped, um, especially so it was like, when Boris announced uh, the lockdown, there was like a big panic. It was basically when we knew we were going into lockdown and everything was closing, but before any businesses knew what help, if anything was going to come, we lost so many members that week. Like <laughs> the, the plan set to council list was like huge. And I did pee my pants. Like I was like, oh no, um, this could be very bad. Luckily, we're still here and we're okay and we've made it through and it's fine. But yeah, if we hadn't have had money coming from other places and I hadn't have moved to think about where else we could get money from or how we might, I mean, everyone's talking about pivoting now, but how we might pivot as a business um, if needed, then we would have been a lot more stuck if that was our only stream of income. Yeah. 
Well, well done. <laughs> no, that was crazy. And I think talking to a lot of um, businesses or, or women running like, you know, communities or spaces, it's been crazy, like, you know, in March. And I think, you know, small businesses uh, were like, wow, you know, freaking out. And I think it's the, the uncertainty of not knowing what to do, what will happen, um, and a lot of stress for, for business business owners. I just wanted to talk about maybe the financial risk of starting your own business. So, for, you know, for people who have a full-time job and they want to start, we often say to founders, you know, you need to have skin in the game. You need to sort of, you know, hustle a little bit, put your money into your business. Of course, like, I, you know, I, I, I agree with that. And, and often... People will sort of fund if they can from their savings or from put like all their money, if they have any money uh, or, you know, in, in their business. How can you best prepare financially to launch a business if you have savings, if you don't have any savings? And how can you make sure that if things go wrong, you still have some sort of a, you know, safe safety net? Okay, this is hard because I naturally am quite a risk taker. And the advice I give myself is very different to the advice I give other people. So let's do both. <laughs> yeah, I personally will take probably bigger risks than I would ever tell other people to, just because that's naturally what I'm like. I'm quite spontaneous and I just think, eh, screw it, I'm going to do it and see what happens. Again, the older I get, the more that that does change and the more responsibilities that I have and, and other people that I could affect with my spontaneity the more that, you know, things, things change and you have to think differently. But for me, I mean, especially with my first business, I had nothing. So to me, I was like, I don't really have anything to lose because I've got no money anyway. I'm broke. I might, you know, I might end up broke again. Okay, that's fine. But I still thought about like, okay, if the business doesn't work, how will I pay this loan back? Because that's not going to disappear. And I was like, okay, well, financially I can work it out if I went and got a full-time job just a basic I don't know full-time shop assistant for example I have no qualifications in anything really or I could go and get a florist job I could pay back the loan and pay my bills just it would be difficult and maybe I might need an evening job as well but it would be doable I wouldn't be stuck I wouldn't be getting into debt or not be able to get out of that debt I should say so that's still important. That still crossed my mind, even as a spontaneous person, like, okay, worst case scenario, what would happen? The advice I would give is like you, I would have six months savings, ideally. That's kind of my go-to if you're the sole kind of provider for yourself or for others. But in reality, I don't know how many people, I'd love to see some stats on that. I don't know how many people actually do that. Yeah, because that's quite hard to do. <laughs> that's quite a lot of money to, yeah. have to save up. You know, I think how many people want to buy a house and can't get that deposit or have together? savings. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, like have anything there. Six months is quite a lot of lot of time for me. I think realistically, because I don't know that six months is possible. You need a backup plan. You need to know what you're going to do. Yeah, and you've got to be honest with yourself, even if that's like. I don't know, could I go to my mum and ask for a month? Like I might be able to get help for one month that I that I give back, for example. It depends on people's situation or a friend. But figuring out what you're going to do, like, okay, how long would it take me potentially in the current climate to get a job? If I needed to go and get a job, could I survive from this point to getting paid for my job? So what, two months, three months, If it depends how easy it is to get a job. It's about taking risks, but kind of plotted out risks you still need to think and then I think if you've got kids or you are a provider for somebody else other than yourself it then is totally different again because then you're not yeah. only risking you know when I started a business I was only risking my own 
lifestyle you know if you're then risking other people's it's got to be more careful yeah or if you have a mortgage or yeah some yeah financial responsibilities and and for the coven did you did you think about i mean you, you mentioned it before but did you think about raising money I mean, it's it's notoriously hard for for female fund for women who run businesses to raise money. We know that we receive like a super small portion of, you know, VC money. But it's also, do you actually want to raise money, or do you want to rather try to build like a sustainable business that will grow maybe not as fast as as you know having you know a million on your on your on your bank account, on your business account that you have to spend very quickly. But, you know, building a team. So what's, you know, what's your view on this? And I know this, these things can change and, you know, we can all, you know, always change our mind on this, but like your current view on this. So, yeah, I've already changed once and I definitely could change my mind again. Initially, I did want it and I did pitch to a few people and thought that was something that I really wanted. Um, everyone I pitched to was male and just couldn't, couldn't understand it. They just couldn't get their heads around why it would be female only was the thing that everyone kept getting hung up on. It's a niche market. Yeah. Yeah. It's too niche. If you opened it up to men as well, then you'd be doubling the amount of people that you're that you're making money from. And I'm like, yeah, but then that would totally change what I'm doing. You know, they weren't my people. <laughs> they couldn't really get it. They probably weren't people that I even want now looking back to have a part in my business, you know? Yeah. But I think in that moment, I was just kind of trying to prove something to myself and to tick something that I felt needed to be ticked off. Like that felt like one of the things you had to do. Do you think it was in sort of your definition of success? Maybe, you know, being a, you know, having raised, yeah, sort of, you know, I've raised money, like, yeah. Yeah, like almost to be a proper founder, like. Yeah, this validation. Yeah, we we raised this money, like blah, blah, blah. And I think those no's were like a blessing because I know now, looking back, I would have hated it. I would have absolutely hated having other people involved in my business. <laughs> like I run a business because I like being in charge. As soon as you take investment, you're not in charge anymore because they gave you all this money and, you know, they have a say in everything. And I know that they wouldn't want to run it how I want to run it. You know, and I love to, I'm spontaneous still. I, I love to run off and travel. I've just spent a month in Greece. That, you know, I would hate having to justify that to a board of investors. <laughs> like, why have you, why have you effed off again? No, I'm like, you just uh, Saf, like where are you? We're looking for you. <laughs> we at the office. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in Kenya. <laughs> um, I, I would hate it. And also, you know, I started to realize that as I was saying that I think the more people that were coming in, the more it was changing things too quickly. And it was harder to create that community feel and keep people feeling kind of that safe, secure feeling that they want from a community when hundreds of people are rushing in. So it was really, yeah, a blessing for me. And now I don't think it's necessary. Like I've proved to myself in that time span, because this was like in the first year I was trying to get funding. And it's been like maybe three years since then, two, three years. And I've made money myself. We haven't needed funding. And we didn't really need it then. We were making money by ourselves. It was just something I wanted. It was more for you, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't think it's necessary. Like, I don't want to be told what to do by other people. And obviously, investors come along, they put their money in, and, you know, they want you to make as much money as possible, as quick as possible, and then they want to get their money back out. And 
is that what I wanted? I don't have another plan for after this yet. So, you know, do, do I want it? And then so many horror stories of founders getting kicked out of their own businesses. And that's like, can you imagine how soul destroying that must be to have <laughs> people that you thought were going to help you grow your business be like, yeah, we're going to grow it, but we're just going to grow it without you. <laughs> I can't think of any worse. Yeah, I think you have to be super... Yeah, super intentional about what, you know, what you're building, what you're building, why you're building it. And what's what's the end goal? If the end goal is to sell, if the end goal is to, you know, spend 20 years in your business, is, is it to build something sustainable or actually making money? I mean, we, we yeah, we can all have different goals, but I agree with you. And thanks for sharing that. I wanted to ask you about how do you do not to care about what other people are thinking? It's not always easy. So how do you do it for, you know, for you and for, and for the coven? It is hard. I would love to say that I'm just not bothered, but I am. <laughs> uh, it's annoying. I don't like it. So I actually think I get more bothered by it the older I get. I think, you know, I've spent a long time in therapy now. I think I'm becoming more and more emotional <laughs> and sensitive the older I get. I used to be much more of an ice queen. And when I was younger, I think I just had so much just like naive confidence. Yeah, which is good, actually. And I, I feel when you start a business, the, the first time you have this thing, you know, the less you know, the easier it is, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because you're just like, oh, you're just going for it. Just like blind faith that it will figure itself out, which, yeah, I agree. It's like is needed. But every so often I'll get people telling me how they feel and it's not always great and it's very much true that it doesn't matter how many people say nice things about what you do if one person says something critical or mean that's the thing you're going to remember my problem is I'm quite naturally a confrontational person and I always have been and I don't know it's necessarily a good in fact I don't think it's a good trait I would much rather be calm and reserved and I can't I can't react in the way that I want to react to people that aren't very nice to me Um, I can't fly off the handle. I mean, that's not an appropriate thing to do anyway, but it's definitely not in a business setting. And I think that's where my struggle comes with the fact that I feel that it's so unfair that people can say things like that for no reason. Like I, I am just very much like, I just think if you don't have anything nice to say, don't, don't say anything. I think it's so unnecessary. Just let people crack on with what they want to do. Like life is too short, but I think That's why it's so important that you do have supporters and you do have friends who have businesses, um, people that you know that have businesses so that you've got people to talk to. Because I think if you're surrounded by people who believe in you, it's a lot easier to brush those things off. I think it can still hurt. I'm not, I would hope to one day be at a point where I'm just totally not bothered. But for lots of us, that might not happen. But if you've got people around you who do believe in you and do support you, That makes it a little bit easier and even just people to vent to to be like can you believe this you know it just makes you feel better but I think it's something that everyone probably struggles with like even just not necessarily people saying stuff but comparison and yeah and things like that but I don't have all the answers no no <laughs> but, but <laughs> do, you, do you still also get this well I mean you talked about comparison but maybe this fear of missing out so you know deciding to be you know one type of entrepreneur or you know going for something um, and, and we all have different goals for our businesses for ourselves so 
we are, we always comparing ourselves with people who have different goals, do different things and stuff like that. But how do you try to ignore the noise, but still, you know, take the information of, you know, what's happening on your market and at the same time, not feel under like this competition all the time? I think you've got to really know why you're doing what you're doing. I think if you really know where you're headed and why, that helps because when that comparison raises itself, you can remind yourself what you're doing. Like I definitely had this. I've had a much slower year and I've prioritized my mental health and having a life outside of work and trying to have a more sustainable business that's more balanced and makes me happier and healthier. But that has come at a financial loss. And that means that not as many big, exciting goals are being ticked off, you know, because the goal has shifted and that makes everything look slightly different. And that does mean when you see other people in my market or when I see other people in my market doing these big things, getting investment, doing, you know, big, exciting things, I do get a pang. And even just looking at a previous year's revenue, there's a big difference. And it almost pushed me back to kind of old habits that I don't want to do. I don't want to work 24-7. And I have to come back around and remind myself I'm going slowly for a reason. Um, I'm still financially comfortable. You know, the business has still paid all of my team. We've still got business savings. We've still made profit. We're still moving in the right direction. It's just at a much slower pace. And I think for me, like with the money, I'm kind of like, okay, well, that is a big chunk of money I don't have. But what would I have done with it? And of course, like you can be like, oh, I could have done all these nice things, these holidays or whatever. But actually, I still took a holiday. I just went away for a month. You know, I'm, I'm in my house that I own. I've got that. It's for me just reminding myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and it, you have to be aligned to it because otherwise I think that's when then you're like, oh, actually, I don't know. <laughs> and recently, you mean, you've been talking a lot about mental health. I think it's a really big subject for founders. We never talk about it. You know, just to give one, you know, piece of research, according to a study by Michael Freeman, entrepreneurs are 50% more likely uh, to report having a mental health condition with some specific conditions being incredibly prevalent amongst founders. So two times more likely to suffer from depression, six times more likely to suffer from ADHD. So the list could go on and on. But we very, very rarely talk about it. We see this like, you know, star, star founders, because, you know, you're a star when you're a founder. People see you in the street, you have, you know, money, you have investments, maybe you don't necessarily succeed like in your maybe personal life or you have no balance. And, and we've done this, like working 24-7, you know, what's what's the, the point? Um, but I think you switch now at the at the coven and, it, and you've been public about it. Like, you know, I send you an email and I receive an, you know, out of office or I receive, uh, you know, my office hours are now Monday to Thursday, 10 to 5. Uh, we're following Iceland's footstep, which I love and I really, you know, it, admire to be like so bold. How do you make the, the shift and, and, you know, what sort of triggered that for, um, for you and the team? So the, the, the main trigger was just that I burnt myself out again. I've done it twice. And I mean, like, really burnt myself out, like where all I can do is sit and cry. And I can't even remember, like, how to do anything, cook. Everything feels too much. And I just can't do anything. And that is because my natural tendency is to just push and push and push and push and work and work and work and do nothing outside of work. And you think it's fine because yeah. you've done it for a year, two, three, but then it just explodes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and 
you know, when I was younger, I could do more. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm now noticing that I break more easily. And I think part of that is just getting older. And part of that is all of that time spent doing that just again and again and again and again and again. And then being like, oh, okay, I'll take like two days rest. And then I'm going to work for another five months really hard and not sleep enough and not eat properly and not prioritize myself in any way. And it just doesn't, doesn't work for me. I have so three different mental health disorders. So I have OCD, general anxiety disorder and panic disorder. And I've had those all my life. So I came into the game with, <laughs> with uh, my brain being a little bit all over the place, but working like that just is so hard to balance my mental health and to stay sane. If I'm working that much, I just can't, I can't do it. And I just ultimately was like, what's the point? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Because ultimately, yes, we might make more money as a business, but I'm still not going to feel good because actually that that extra money is not going to make me feel better. What I need is time off and rest and some kind of life outside of work. So we just decided to like go for it, kind of discussed it, said, what do people think about Fridays off work? No emails. I mean, emails do sometimes still have to get sent occasionally from home if, you know, other people don't always stick to our deadlines and if it's something urgent then we'll do it. But ultimately there's no meetings, nobody comes in, no real work is done um, on a Friday. And it's really good. I love it. It's worked really well for us. And we still get the same amount of work done. Yeah. You just, uh... which is the important thing, not as in like necessarily workload, but the things that need to happen still happen. It's just that you, you just learn to prioritize better. I think a lot of the things we do and like we collectively as humans who go to work, we we tend to make everything feel important and actually most things aren't and again it comes around to goals like what are you trying to achieve what's the business working on is that task actually going to move you towards that or is it just something we've almost been conditioned to think that we need to do yeah and I think the difference between uh, and you talk about that on your Instagram it's difference being busy and, and productive what do you do to also you know, feel better and think about work is work. And even if I love my business, this is, you know, I work on my business these days. What do you do the rest of the time to, um, you know, to, to feel better? You talked about going uh, to therapy. Was that helping? And do you do other things that, that can help, you know, anyone listening today? Yeah, I love therapy. Like I'm such <laughs> a big, I will push everyone to go to therapy because I think it's brilliant. I think everybody can learn from it. I also take medication. Um, which I put off for a very, very long time. I only started taking that this year. I just had it in my head. I didn't want to be dependent on it and thought that's the road I didn't want to go down. And then when it got really bad again this year, I think I was just like, okay, well, nothing else has worked. So I'm going to give this a go uh, and see what happened. Therapy helps, but it wasn't enough for me. For me, like time to do nothing is really important. Like just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to get bored or yeah, nothing. <laughs> Yeah, but don't not on your phone though, right? Because I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do nothing tonight, and in the end, I grab my phone and I'm like, and this is not doing nothing. <laughs> no, and all the hours then pass by, and you're like, how much time have I just like, like wasted? And I don't feel like rested in any way. So definitely no phones. There's a there was a book. I think it's called Bored and Brilliant. It's all about why we need time to be bored and how important that is for our work and and ourselves really good book yeah just time to unwind and then also for me like projects outside of work so just pursuing things and the most important thing for me is not trying to do anything with them 
Um, so not being like, oh, I'm improving my art. Maybe I should try and sell it. Like, you know, I've not got to try and be the best at it. I've not got to try and be good at it. I've just got to enjoy it, which is a real learning curve for me because that's not really how I'm wired. So just trying to learn to do things just to do them and to enjoy them is is really important. But, you know, I'm still figuring it out. I've, I have found it difficult. This year has been like a real learning curve because I do find that with more time off, my motivation for work is like less because I'm used to being on it all of the time and just implementing things and go, go, go. And then when I've made myself pull back and stop and enjoy other things and think, and, and, you know, now a lot of my brain space is on other things. It's on friends, family, my relationships, my other things I love to do, reading a lot, a lot and giving space for that. It's hard to, to, you know, I'm having to learn to switch on and switch off, which I'm not used to. So yeah, massively still learning. Th thank you very much for sharing this story because I think it's really helpful for people to know that it's, it's okay. <laughs> you know, you can take a break, you can do do other things and your business is not all your life. But I think your, your point on um, motivation is, is really important. I mean, we've been running our businesses for, for a long time and, you know, we're so in love with them. We love them. We do everything for our businesses. But sometimes you can, you know, feel an in and, and, and out and, and lose a bit of this motivation, maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for a month. How do you try to find this motivation back do you sort of let it go for a while and it's just about doing the work and maybe not launching something extraordinary or actually when you go back into action or, or or feel like okay i'm gonna go for another five years or 10 years or 20 years with this business so a couple of things personally i mean i love my business but there's times i really don't love my business um i'm like a firm believer and it's probably like the realist in me that there are always going to be parts of our businesses we don't love. Um, and that's totally okay. If you're someone who's doing your business and you're thinking, I loved this and now I'm bored of it. Like that's okay. I'm very much someone who thinks that not everything is forever and not everything has to be. So it might be that you start a business and then you end up selling it or you end up closing it or, you know, whatever. And that's okay. But sometimes not, you know, there's going to be people with no motivation now panicking. Like <laughs> maybe this is the end. <laughs> You have to say that's it, you know, move on and, and not be too emotional <laughs> but, yeah. about it. <laughs> so close the doors, off you go. It might not be that. I find I have to not work to get motivated. Like I don't tend to get my motivation at work. I have to be giving room. And again, this boredom thing, I have to, you know, for me, it might be going on walks. It might be reading the newspapers on a Sunday or just kind of like chilling out, but letting my brain kind of tick. Yep. that's when I start to kind of have ideas and so like yesterday because I'd had Saturday and Friday Saturday Sunday off by Sunday I was kind of itching to do some work and yep. my brain was like kind of coming up with some ideas and some different things that could be cool to do and that only comes from space I find when I'm in work because I'm so in it yeah action action to-do list and uh yeah hitting and list. I try yeah. to be super productive so I'm like just like go 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 like get everything done And, and sometimes it can take a while. And I think especially post-COVID, it's okay if your motivation is lower than it has been and has been for a while. Like I felt unmotivated for ages. Like I've spent more of the past year unmotivated than I have motivated. And I'm finding that I tend to be unmotivated and then it comes back. I might have a couple of weeks of like motivation and I'm like, yay, I'm going to do all this cool stuff. And like, yay, I'm, I'm fixed. And then it goes again and I'm just trying to ride with it. Like I'm just yeah. going with it. When I'm motivated, I'm taking the opportunity. I'm doing stuff. I'm getting stuff done. And when it's not there, 
I'm trying to remember why I started the business. I'm giving myself space. I'm trying to just think of the fun kind of aspects whilst ticking off the other bits that have to get done. Yeah. But uh, the, the members love it. So I think that's, you know, a top motivation and they're here and they show up and, you know, they chat daily on the, on the community, which is like fantastic. So Saf, I have three quick fire questions for you. What is the best financial decision you ever made? Buy my house. And what is the worst financial decision? Getting a, a paid bank account, which I then didn't pay for and it ruined my credit history. Mm. Yeah. And what are the things you spend the most money on at the moment? Books. Always books. I spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And you have time to read them? Most of them, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, you already recommended one book, but do you have another book to recommend, like a favorite book or favorite recent book you, you've read that really you know, made you think maybe out of the box or motivated you? Now, I'll be totally honest. I'm on like a bit of a zombie obsession right now so a lot of the books I've read have been <laughs> apocalyptic books um which might not be to everyone's taste but I am having a great time I read a really good book on when did I read it Saturday because I felt like I needed a little bit of a break from people eating people um <laughs> called I think it's called it's by Rosie who does the breakup monologues podcast oh. Is it the breakup monologues? The unexpected joy of heartbreak? Yes. The unexpected joy of heartbreak. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, that was really good. Like, I'm not a massive romance person. Those kind of books don't tend to do it for me. But this, I love this because she talks to, like, all different kinds of people. It's very funny. She's a, she's a really hilarious woman. You've got, like, these really funny stories intertwined with, like, talking to, like, different couples and talking to therapists and talking to scientists. And it just for me, ticked a lot of boxes. Like it was entertaining to read, but it was, I was learning at the same time. It's got like, yeah, all different kinds of things in it. I really rated that. So thank you so much. It was so nice to have you today. You know, we know, first of all, we can find you on Twitter, Sapphire J. Bates, thecovengirlgang.com. Uh, we can find you on Instagram, the Coven Girl Gang. Do you have anything else you'd like to share today to anyone listening to this episode today? Just if you haven't heard of us, definitely head over to the website or Instagram and take a look. I still do all my DMs and stuff myself. So if you've got any questions or you're just curious, please do have a chat with me. I'm always happy to chat. We're also launching something new for next year. It's called the class of 2022. I can't say much else, but if you are like me and you haven't had that much of a productive 2020 or 2021 Um, and you want 2022 to be different, then definitely come take a look at that because that's why I built it for both myself and for others. So yeah, that's going to be really fun and something that's getting me really pumped up. Thank you so much, Saf. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to The Wallet today. Please share with a friend and subscribe or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, we have a new format coming out. So I need you to send me your proud money moments, your questions and comments via our hotline at emily at Speak to you next week. <laughs>